Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Macrovisor podcast. Happy FedNest Day to you for all those that celebrate. We had a rather interesting meeting today. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, I want to welcome my wonderful co-host, Aisha. Hey, everyone. Yes, a very interesting meeting with nothing seems different, right? It's almost like Groundhog Day. It's like we keep repeating the same speech, the same press conference. In fact, I heard from someone on Twitter that he's worn the same tie the last four meetings in a row, too. Well, I almost have the beginning of his speech memorized by now. So in case he needs me to step in at any point in time and just cover for him, I can at least do that speech word for word. Well, I know he has you on speed dial, so I look forward to the day. Where we see that happen, because that would be absolutely amazing. I mean, you've been on Bloomberg, you've been on Fox, but Aisha is head of the Fed. Now that would be new heights. I love it. Love it. Uh, that's sincerely not a job that I want. <laughs> yeah, I don't envy anyone working at central banks at this point. It's just, whew, what a tightrope to walk. But yeah, so we had a pretty interesting meeting. And I would say the really interesting part of it was the press conference. The statement that we got, the decision that we received was pretty much in line of what we could reasonably expect. But Powell, he said some things that stood out, didn't he? Indeed, he did. But just going back to the decision itself. So yes, they raised by 25 basis points as expected. But what's interesting is I saw that the vote came in 11 to none. So everyone voted to raise rates. So there was actually no dissenters in this meeting. Everybody thinks uh, rates still need to go up, um, which I think is an interesting sign. Yeah, it seems based on what we heard from the big man himself that there's still room for more from here. This aligns with a note that we put out this morning talking about sort of what to expect this FedNest day from Chair Powell. And one of the key points was expect the door to be left open. This is not a one and done situation depending on what the data says. And it's very tentative. It could go either way, as Powell even said. But depending on what the data says, we might see more hikes yet. Absolutely. And he made it a point to actually say that every meeting from here on out is still a live meeting, basically, which means that they could decide to raise rates at any of the meetings um, going forward. I thought that was actually a very interesting point because this sort of puts to bed the possibility that they're skipping a meeting or they're going to hold and see for a while. So their issue of being data dependent, he made it very clear that they truly will be data dependent and that they're not backing off their hawkishness, so to speak. Let's talk about the data a little bit, too, because the Fed is so focused on it. We are, too, at Macrovisor. We really do dig into the nitty gritty of the data. If you haven't seen Aisha's CPI heat map, it's pretty darn cool. But one of the things we like to do is track these trends. And we're seeing some signs that are a little concerning. We've had these powerful base effects year over year that are starting to roll off. 
The Russia-Ukraine war happened. It spiked commodities all the way up until July where prices really started to fall. We have a bit of a contrast. This time around, July commodity prices have been rising, whereas they had been moderating for much of this year while these base effects are rolling off. And we're starting to see some firming up in rents and housing. And I know those have lagged effects, but we're seeing a number of concerning signs here, all kind of building in around the same time. Absolutely. So the easy comparisons that we've been seeing, for which reason we saw a steep decline in inflation or rather steep decline, uh, steep disinflation, let's say for the last couple of months, uh, that situation is going to go away now. So starting from this month's data, in fact, we have PCE numbers coming out um on Friday, but I don't think these numbers will will show um, the base effects. So the base effects remain for these numbers, meaning we might still see a steep decline in these numbers. Um, however, going forward from next month onward, we will actually have more uh, difficult comparisons or tougher comparisons, which means that the decline in inflation will be smaller and smaller. It will get more challenging. And now when you add in what you just said about commodity prices going up, energy costs going up, um, I think we're in for a little bit of a rough ride where inflation is concerned. So there is a very, very pertinent risk of a reacceleration in inflation. And it's a rocky road, isn't it? When we see deceleration, we look prior episodes of inflation that played out in the United States or other countries over time. It's not a straight trajectory up when we're rising any more than it is down when we're falling. We have a lot of head fakes along the way. And so I know a lot of people got very excited thinking, you know, all this inflation stuff is, is behind us. And boy, I mean, hey, I live here, too. I wouldn't mind if that was true. I'd be all for it. And let's also just quickly clarify for the folks out there that aren't super economically savvy. When we talk about falling inflation, this is a very common misconception. We're not talking about falling prices. We're talking about the rate at which prices are appreciating, slowing down. And that's important because for folks that are like, oh, falling inflation, relief at last. It's not that easy, I'm afraid. Some of these effects are going to linger. Prices could base out at higher levels, even with appreciably lower inflation. So it's something else to consider just the residual impacts on many consumers that are living paycheck to paycheck that are falling behind on bills. The good news is, for them, for many, the job market is still ostensibly strong. There's still about 1.6 jobs available for every person who's insured and unemployed seeking work. And that's something that Powell spoke to, didn't he? He did. So he did say that the labor force participation rate is um, getting slightly better. He said, of course, the job market still remains extremely tight. However, there are signs of softening. And this is something that we actually looked at at Macrovisor as well a few weeks ago. And we did do a little bit of a deep dive study into the labor market where we did see the same signs that he was talking about. However, while doing the study, what I did notice was that even though there has been some signs of softening, we still have a long way to go. So, for example, one thing that he quoted was the number of job openings. So he talked about the number of job openings coming down, which is bringing the labor market 
into better balance, let's say. And that's something that we've been looking for. Um, however, the job openings still average around uh, 9 million. So we needed to go back to around the 7 million mark for us to have proper balance with the labor market, in the labor market, right? So I think we still, and, and from going from, let's say 10, 10.5, 11 to nine has taken over a year, right? So it's taken a very, very long time. Um, so I think going from nine to seven, yes, sure, we might see some pickup in this rate because of the tightening cycle, because of you know how tight conditions are, but it's not going to be such a smooth ride. So we still have a long way to go where the job market is concerned as well. And we get some more data about the job market this week, something Powell spoke to directly, the employment cost index. Pretty important to see wage growth come down, right? We really need to see a deceleration there. So that feedback loop that's happened in services where wage growth goes up, so that means companies pass on these costs to their customers, that creates inflationary pressure, particularly in core services where it's been quite sticky. We really want to see that data come down. This is, this is an important number to watch, isn't it? Absolutely, a very important number to watch. But, you know, even though the number has come down a little bit year on year, again, we have a far, far, uh, you know, path to normalization. So the employment cost index at the moment, I think, is somewhere around four and a half, if I remember correctly. Year on year growth is about four and a half. Um, it's about four um, percent. However, the the long run average i think is about two percent or so so i think we have a long way to go in normalization even in terms of you know employment numbers or wage numbers yes that's a really good point it brings us to an area that we've talked about a lot at macrovisor which is kind of the center of our research for this credit cycle how it unravels if it is to at all. And it has everything to do with the services industry, right? This is where all the strength has been. 76% of GDP comes out of the services industry. So we've seen the manufacturing sector rolling over into contraction for about 10 months now. New orders have fallen for over a year. There's a lot of weakness. There's employment contraction in manufacturing. New orders backlogs have fallen over time. Yet services have been robust. They've been resilient. We talked a little bit off mic about healthcare and travel and leisure. Those have been areas of strength. And it seems like, and even with this week's flash PMI reading, services continue to expand at a modest pace. They've slowed, but flash PMI came in for services this week at 52.4, suggesting we're still expanding, albeit at a somewhat slower rate, until services go into a meaningful contraction. And until that translates to jobless claims, reaching 300,000 or in excess of that number, it seems like that normalization of the job market remains somewhat elusive, doesn't it? It does. So I think the way that we are looking at these job numbers, as you rightly pointed out, there were certain categories that were understaffed because of um, the COVID situation. And one of them obviously was, uh, the big one was healthcare. And the second one was uh, um, travel and leisure. Now travel and leisure, because we didn't need it, 
right? Nobody was traveling, so they were kind of put on furlough, let's say. And on the other hand, healthcare, there are a variety of reasons, the COVID situation, vaccination, uh, people were just scared to go back to work in that kind of a situation. So everything combined, these are pockets of the market that have been understaffed because of COVID or because of the pandemic era. And so what we're seeing in these pockets are normalized, is actually normalization, okay? Now, once these things normalize, I think we're going to start to see a change in the labor data. And we actually need to see that change, as we rightly pointed out. So it's not just the job openings that need to come down, but it's also that these services, um, the service sector, something that you always point out, um, the service sector needs to break a little bit, right? So we need to see um, job losses, let's say, unfortunately, in the service sector for us to have, you know, uh, for us to have that services inflation come down. And that's such a key point because this is an area that isn't getting really the level of attention that it probably needs. That's why we're adamant about mentioning it because it's sort of the key piece to the puzzle. Like, why aren't we in a recession? Well, look no further than services and you have your answer. And this is exactly why it's important to monitor this data, which we will continue to break it down as it comes out. But let's move just a little bit further out. Let's zoom out to the 30,000 foot view. The broader economy, still remains somewhat resilient. That fiscal impulse, all the money coming in from the Chips and Science Act, from the Inflation Reduction Act, maybe someday it'll live up to its name, have really caused a lot more demand, a lot more economic activity. But as Morgan Stanley, as Mike Wilson pointed out in one of his recent research notes, that fiscal impulse is actually starting to, to taper off. It has peaked and now we're starting to see it kind of trail off here. Is that going to undermine the economy? Because when we're looking at this data, when we're looking at GDP, you and I both noted one really key thing, that government spending, non-defense, is a huge driver here. And it seems like that's set to slow. So absolutely, that's one part of it. And I think you put it very eloquently. Um, and then the other part of it, again, something Mike uh, Wilson said is that, you know, with disinflation, we will see demand breaking, something that we've been saying for a long time as well, right? The purpose of everything that the Fed is doing is to destroy demand. And so when you're destroying demand, you're obviously bringing down revenues for companies. Once you start bringing down revenues for companies, even though costs have abated, if revenues fall fast enough, you're going to see margins compress, right? So, and when I say costs have abated, they've abated because we've, uh, you know, the supply chain situation has improved and all of that. However, wages have increased. So that there's still a little bit of cost increases there, right? And so when you see revenues come down really fast and you see, you know, costs remain stagnant or not dropping fast enough, you're going to see margin compression. If you see margin compression, you're going to see bottom line issues. And this is where you start to cut, cut costs more and start to let go of workers. So everything combined, you're going to have a cyclical effect or like, basically bringing down consumption in the economy as a whole. 
And there's another driver of that margin compression too, because inventories don't get cleared out the moment that prices change. So you have inventories that you're sitting on that you bought at appreciably higher prices that you're now trying to move in an environment where prices are going lower that you have to cut to fight with competition to clear that stuff out as it depreciates if it's sitting on your shelves. So you've got multiple drivers that, that, that can affect margin compression. It's pretty fascinating because everyone's celebrating disinflation as, oh, we're through the worst of it, and yet we haven't seen the trough in earnings. We're still in this earnings recession. And that's something that could get worse because of this disinflationary process. Absolutely. So this is why um, when Fed Chair, when the Fed Chair actually says that, you know, we have a pathway to, you know, a soft landing. And now he, today, he even pointed out that the staff no longer forecasts a recession. He hasn't been look, forecasting a recession for a long time. And now even the staff is not forecasting a res recession where they had said that they expect a mild recession. Um, I don't believe it. Um, we just talked about all of this, right? We talked about the labor market and how it needs to break. Maybe we don't see uh, a huge increase in unemployment, which should be a good thing, but we will see some level of unemployment right on the one hand on the other hand you cannot have inflation go back down without consumption coming down without demand destruction and so the natural pathway to this is quite likely if not a hard landing then at least a rough landing you know, and we're seeing some of those initial signs. Retail sales tracked by the Johnson Red Book. Lizanne Saunders put this out today are down 0.4% year over year. Now, this is nominal. In real terms, retail sales have been plunging since May of 2021. So we're seeing those initial signs of that demand destruction that's really beginning to slow things down. And yet it's probably the earlier stages of it. And it could be a little bit of a slippery path because the same feedback loop that drove inflation in services can very quickly go the other way, right? If you start to see negative price pressure, if you start to see significant slowdowns in business, margin compression, then all of a sudden, like you said, you have to start cutting costs and eventually you have to start cutting people. Less people getting paid means less consumption in the economy. And that can kind of start to get magnified as it often does in these periods of economic slowing. But I think you made a really important point. I just like to reiterate it. I also cannot imagine us navigating through this situation to a successful resolution to the inflationary pressure, albeit probably a temporary one for reasons we'll get into at a different time, but a successful resolution without a real recession. I just, I don't see it being possible. And in fact, when we look at prior periods of monetary response, monetary policy response to episodes of inflation, even zooming out from the United States to other countries, it's very rare that you get out of something like this without an economic contraction of multiple quarters. Now, let's also just say that recession is not a bad word. Maybe we haven't had a real one in a long time, but recessions clear out excesses in the system. And one of the biggest excesses we have is the price of various assets. So for all the people that have been locked out from buying a home or participating as investors in the market or otherwise, a recession actually would be a good thing, as it would be a good thing for entrepreneurs who are looking to buy assets on the cheap and create new innovative businesses. That's the launch pad that it happens. This is where generational wealth is built. It's in the trough. 
of earnings and the economy. So just putting that out there, because I just I just think it's important to say recession is not the end of the world. It's not a bad word. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just something to be aware of and plan for and navigate the best you can. But there's no way we're going to get out of having the two parts of the cycle. You get the boom. You're going to have the bust. So Powell talked a little bit about credit conditions talked about how he expects them to tighten further. But one of the observations that you made recently in your research that I thought was very interesting is once we saw the Fed's response to the banking crisis, the mini crisis that we had, the banks actually started lending again. They're kind of lending a little bit aggressively and without perhaps the assets to do that. So it's not credit conditions really aren't yet tightening. Do we get there? So I think we will get there, but we're getting there much slower than expected. That's the problem, right? So after this mini crisis, we all thought that, you know, um, absolutely the banks are going to just close the taps. (laughs) No more lending, no more soup for you. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not what happened. So as we saw in the data. um, And even Powell hinted at that when it was all happening, didn't he? He did. And all he talked about was tightening lending conditions. The, the, the theme of that meeting was tightening lending conditions. And he said it so many times. I actually and wrote a said, note with that title. He said they were going to do the Fed's work for them. Absolutely. So, And that would actually lead to an increase in rates. But we're not seeing that. We're not seeing that appreciable increase in rates at all. In fact, if anything, the far end of the curve is still much, much lower, and the yield curve remains uh, inverted. Uh, We're past, I think, 1%. We've been hovering around the 1% mark um, for the 10s and 2s. But yeah, so what we've been seeing in the data is that there's been a slight pullback, but nothing to be excited about. And it seems that the banks, and, and you can see it in the bank results as well, you can see net interest income has actually gone up for every bank. And that has to do with volumes as well. There has been some decrease in volumes, but not as much as you would expect. So until and unless the banks start to rein back on lending, I don't think we will see a drop um, in consumption. I don't think we see a drop in the markets either. So one thing that's kept these markets elevated, and and when I say markets, I mean the stock market, um, is that the banks continue to lend. So there is you know, enough liquidity in the economy for stock prices to go higher. And that's helped to keep rates low on the longer end. It's helped to put a bid under commodities. It's helped to keep that demand flowing, like you're saying. It's kind of the opposite of what Powell said he expected and hoped even to play out. He was hoping the banks would do some of the tightening for the Fed. And yet the opposite's playing out. They're actually loosening again overall. Like there's been this modicum of tightening, but not anywhere near what one may have reasonably expected. And yet here's the interesting takeaway. From all that, the Fed is still saying, you know what, we're probably closer to done now than we were then, even though banks have not appreciably tightened credit standards. So it seems like we're, we're waiting for some kind of catalyst, something that helps to tighten credit conditions. Maybe this time the Fed doesn't intervene because they've seen that that policy response creates a reflexivity in the banks where they say, oh, the Fed's got our back. We're just going to go back to business as usual and try to normalize to these higher interest rates, lending at higher rates and hoping for the best moving forward. But it kind of feels like unless and until 
like we've been talking about, we see the slowdown in services into contraction. We see that get into the labor market and then eventually that affects credit conditions. Until that cycle really starts, it feels like we're kind of just on this trajectory here. So let's circle back to credit conditions for just a moment and talk a little bit more about what's going on there. So you said something about a catalyst coming around, right? Um, and obviously, these bank blowups was meant to be a catalyst, but then the Fed came in and backstopped the situation. And so you asked, what kind of catalyst could actually change this? Could lead to banks tightening credit conditions to the point where things start to change. And I think the one thing that could actually change the whole situation is earnings themselves. So banks will stop lending to companies if their performance is not good. I mean, that's credit 101, right? So the the banks will actually evaluate companies themselves before they start lending to them. And so no matter what the Fed does, um, whether they increase capital, whatever they do, if the companies themselves that the banks are going to lend to don't perform and we see a bottoming in earnings, we're likely to see a situation where credit standards are tightened further and the banks stop lending. So that could be the catalyst that drives this um, change. Very interesting. Great point there. And the last thing we'll talk about here is Jackson Hole. Because what a contrast between what we were told last year and where we actually ended up 11 months later. We were told to expect pain. The market's appreciably higher now than it was then. We were told to expect, you know, that things could get more difficult. And yet the price of just about everything except for certain key areas are actually higher now than they were last year, particularly when you look at assets. Even real estate has started to rebound. Where's the pain? And do we see Powell conjure up his inner Volcker? Or is that an era that is gone now? Is that, a, is that a bygone legend, a shadow of what he endeavored to do, but never really reached? Because it feels like, at least to me, that the market doesn't believe the Fed. And as long as the market doesn't believe the Fed... This idea that 10 stocks can carry the S&P up and, you know, the NASDAQ up and, and, and they themselves can rally something like 50, 60 percent year to date on multiple expansion. It, it's just a theme that could continue. Unless the market starts to take this idea seriously, that the punch bowl really is being taken away for the foreseeable future. So I don't know where we reach with the market Um given everything that's happened. Obviously, it's the same old story. We need to see a broadening out if this is to be a real bull market. But at the end of the day, you and I both know that, you know, starting a bull market at this point um, will mean a very shallow bull market. Having said that, I think the Fed has found a very interesting way to be able to sort of skirt um, the pain let's say. And one way to do that was to backstop the banks, right? Um, I think that was a good thing in many ways. But at the same time, um, I think they're putting an artificial, you know, it, it's sort of, they're just putting a bandaid on the situation. And there is a lot of rot underneath. And so um, I, I don't know whether this end well, ends well. Um, but 
the way we see him now, I think Fetcher Powell is going to be, uh, I, I don't think he's going to be the way he was um, during the last Jackson Hole meeting. So I think he's calmed down a lot. I think uh, inflation has come down a lot. The one thing he did say is they're not going to cut rates this year. So we know that they're going to hold rates steady um, at least for another year. In fact, he said that that it, we don't have to make that determination for one full year. So it doesn't look like we're getting any kind of rate cuts until maybe June of next year. And even if we do June, July, something like that, there's the likelihood that they keep running off their balance sheet. They keep rolling off these securities that are maturing, particularly on the Treasury side. He seems adamant about that. New York Fed and I think several other um, studies have been commissioned on this, that it would actually make sense for them to continue to roll off the balance sheet even into the next cutting cycle. So it could look a lot different than what we're used to. But this has been a really fun, enlightening, broad-ranging conversation. Um, I hope everyone out there enjoyed it. If you have any questions for us, you're always welcome to visit us at macrovisor.com. You can leave your questions in the comments of the podcast episode. If you're listening to this podcast on a major service like Apple, Amazon, Google, or Spotify, consider leaving us a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And if you like this type of content, diving in from the big picture into the finite details, getting into the cogs of all the gears in the economy, check out our work at macrovisor.com. We have two tiers of subscription. We have both paid and free. Obviously, with a paid subscription, you're going to get a lot of value. But even with free, we've got regular content updates every single trading day that you can enjoy. So we hope to see you there and we thank you for listening.